0: Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today on An Actor Despairs, my guest needs no introduction. Here he is, back for round two, my man, Glenn Fleshler. Glenn, I love you, brother. Thanks so much for coming on again. Here it is. Glenn Fleshler, welcome back to an actor despairs, man. It is so good to see you. You too. Oh man, after your episode, I I had like so many people. I mean, I'm I'm not joking or being hyperbolic when I say I had hundreds of messages from people around the world from places as diverse as Iraq to Russia being like, this is my all-time favorite actor. I'm not even an actor. That was my favorite episode. Could you bring them back? Like, I have this question. I have that question. I had so many people around the world reach out to me that are just, that aren't even actors that are just so interested in you and your story and are so moved by your performances. So, man, I'm. I, I, it goes to show you how much we all value your work and you, the global sensation that you are. <laughs>
1: Well, good because I have no idea. I, I feel like I told you everything already. I have no idea what, what to oh talk man
0: to you about. <laughs> oh man no so I'm glad man. you have questions. Yeah, I got plenty man. Let's pick back up like right after grad school if that works for you sure so you so after grad school, you said you were doing showcases for a while, right? Uh,
1: no oh, I mean, you, I was you... I was working you know I was doing plays and uh, I went up to the Berkshires and did a bunch of plays. Uh, Got my equity card at a regional theater. Just started kind of slowly working at bigger and bigger theaters, but, you know, started very, very small.
0: Yeah. And and for those auditions, were you finding them via backstage? Um, <clears throat> well, the first
1: couple of things I think came while I was in school. So being at NYU, you know, the public theater came and, you know, auditioned you. And yeah. some summer stock theaters would come and uh and i i may have still done a little backstage i don't know i certainly used backstage before i went to grad school
0: yeah for a couple of years we had david Um, possible on who was singing your praises about because you guys were classmates it's my boy yeah i know i love it
1: yeah um yeah i think dave talked about some of our some of our teachers and our Experiences. He has a, a interesting perspective on all of that. And he went on to to teach acting as well. Um, but, yeah, we all used to kind of coach each other. And I, I remember situations in class where he and I would actually just take over the class and, and you know, start, you know, our, our class got very brutally honest with each other, you know. And wow. nobody knew our work the way we knew each other's work because we yeah. spent three years watching each other. And we just began to use that as a real asset to kind of help push each other really far, um, and, not and just it, Dave, but the whole
0: class. In that intensity of a grad school program, because like I, I know everyone does get cast at some point. Is there a competitiveness or is there a camaraderie or is it? I mean, it's motivation? actors. It's yeah. actors. There's always competitiveness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for sure. sure.
1: Yeah, um, there is. Yeah, but we had a we had. Pretty, you know, family-like atmosphere. We had it, and mean, people always told us we had a unique class. I don't know that we knew that necessarily, but I do remember the first time we were all in a room together. We decided we were going to do this showcase, you know, where you do your like audition pieces oh, for the whole wow. school, and we were all we didn't know each other, and it we immediately decided to like warm up together, and then it became like a like we very quickly became this sort of organism but we had a lot of different kinds of personalities and there were clashes and there was all kinds of drama but um we, we remained pretty we <laughs> re, remain pretty close to this day so that's, that's a amazing. great testament to the bonding time
0: one of the things that david brought up on the podcast and i'm curious to ask you about it you know is like when you guys went it was such a different time you know i mean i know nyu's always been expensive but just for the world and for acting and being able you know what was casting and the kind of survival that could exist in New York, you know. Now, do you think, you know? And I'm not asking you to shit on NYU or anything, but these these grad school programs, do you think they are still as imperative as they as they once were, or is it now? You know, so many actors, you know, leave undergrad with you know two hundred thousand in debt, and then to go and and do it again, you know, it seems really I mean, risky. You know, I-
1: everybody's got to make their own choice about that. I have no real answer. Somehow I came through it, but I know that I, I think I mentioned to you last time I was incredibly in debt. It took me to a very dark place. I did feel, you know, hopeless for a lot of years when I'm working for pennies, you know, in the theater. And I remember actually sitting with David Costable in a cafe and bemoaning. We were both in the same kind of situation, but mine had kind of gotten out of hand and he was like, being wrapped by Sam Cohn at the time and had like, you know, he wasn't quite, he wasn't make, he wasn't a household name at all or anything like that. We were both kind of still in the, very much in the climbing stages of our career. Yeah. But I remember him saying like, don't pay it. What's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I sort of took <laughs> that and ran with it and just <laughs> let myself <laughs> snowball, you know, Dave's a, Dave's a gambler, you know, he's a real gambler. Um, I love that. And, uh, I also remember in that, I think it may have been the same, lunch we were having or coffee or whatever it was, where he said, you know, this is the best it's going to get for us. Yeah. Like where we were in our careers, which was like doing off-Broadway and regional theater, neither of us had broken through in TV or film or, I don't know if he'd even done Broadway yet. Well, I get maybe he had done a little Broadway. I certainly had not. And he was like, this is it. For guys like us, this is it. This is as far as we're going to go. And I was like, I don't think so, Dave. You know? <laughs> yeah! And um, I, didn't, I didn't think that way. But it was funny. You know, we, we had a lot of parallels in our in our career. But as far as what you asked about grad school, I don't know exactly how things are now. Uh, you would probably know better than me in terms of yeah. how you can piece your education together without throwing down that huge sum. You know, some people in the old days, people used to just come to New York and go to different studios and yeah, do it that way, you know? And, totally. Start hustling, And I kind of did that before grad school a little bit. But um, for me, I think ultimately it was the right choice. But I spent many, many years questioning that. Not yeah. because I, the training I got was great. It did introduce me to a lot of the people who became um, instrumental in my career, both like my peers, my classmates, who I went on to act with in different things and collaborate with on things. The directors I worked with there, some of whom I, I uh, went on to work with in the industry. Um, the confidence, the the varied, you know, abilities. There was, there's a lot I got out of it. So I can't say it wasn't worth it, but I, it also did send my life tumbling for a long time because I was somebody who didn't have a lot of other skills. I didn't have that other way to make money. Yeah, I just didn't have a good waiter. I was, were, I wasn't good at a lot of other stuff. So I Neither. was determined to just <laughs> to just do it by acting, and and that's what I did. But it took a very long time and a lot of sacrifice. But I also knew, you know that you know, you were supposed to suffer, you know, that, you know, an actor was supposed to go through that. You know, I'd hear stories about, you know, John Malkovich living in his car or, or, you know, any of those kind of strengths. And I think, Oh, just go. But it took an, it took an awfully long time of bouncing from apartment to apartment and sublets and, and living in a theater, housing, um, different cities and back, back to my folks house and um, couch surfing and, so, you know, it's not easy. I I certainly couldn't say like, yes, you must go to grad school to yeah. some actor, you know, you have to kind of figure out how you're going to make money, you know, how you're going to subsidize, how you're going to, uh, how you're going to deal with it all, what help you can get, whether it's. You know, student loans from government from scholarships from and there are programs that are free, you know, yeah, Um, there are ways to get help. But you know, you've got to plan that out. And it's hard for a young person to have that big picture about like, what this is going to do to me down the road. You know, we make we make decisions based on power you know so it, it's very hard and I think it you just have to be that dedicated that you're going to do it one way or another and then you will figure out a way because we all do we figure out a way
0: yeah and I'm I'm so curious you know in the six months since I last got to see your beautiful face in person you know the world has changed in a lot of ways and, and uh, <laughs> <You think? laughs> yeah and, and I think we're all you know actor or not actor struggling to to, to find positivity and meaning and and reasons to continue to exist. And I'm curious, you know, for that young Glenn Fleschler that came out of grad school and and, and kept going, what what buoyed you? What kept you positive? Uh, I had to really reach for it a lot of the time, but I did have this
1: despite like I could be very cynical, I could get depressed, but I did have this kind of baseline optimism somewhere inside. Yeah. Um that something was right around the corner. I mean, that's kind of the magic of showbiz is that like the phone can ring. One job can change your life. One thing, you know, and I, when I'd get the job, I'd be like, okay, I've got this now, you know, what's yeah. next. Um, and I would exhale. And then as soon as, you know, you'd feel the job ending. If I was doing like a two month regional theater gig, like, go, oh, you know, here it comes, you know, the great <laughs> void it's, it's, it's coming back, you know, and it was just a cycle of that for a lot of years. Yeah. And eventually it changed. Eventually, you know, enough stability came to my life that, you know, I wasn't defined by whether I was working or not. Of course, I'd always rather be working. I think every actor would rather be working, but you build up your life enough so that, you know, that's just one aspect of it and you do whatever you get used to doing in between. But I was always, most of my career, I was always much, much better when I was acting, just much more. That's what I look to be doing. And I think that my passion for it is what kept me going because I really wanted to be doing it. And I wanted to push myself to get better, better. And if you're not working, push yourself to get better, work on material. I mean, I did a lot of stuff for free or for very little money, workshops, things back at NYU to be working, to be honing my craft, to do readings you know it's funny, in recent years, I've shed a lot of that stuff because I'm like, i you know I don't want to work for free and do yeah. you know why why should I do that? But for many years, it was like, do it for the love of doing it and you know and being able to stay and in meet it. all the people and yeah and keep yeah. pushing yourself and I always and that's the thing you know is if you once you think like you've nailed it or you know what you're doing, you know you've stopped pushing yourself, and it's, you know the great actors I've been around are always looking for a new challenge, looking to step outside, yeah. They're, comfort zone. And um, that's what I admire. And that's what I've always aspired to.
0: And I'm curious then, because like, you know, as I mentioned before, how many messages I got, what I've always felt about you. And and now what I can say the world feels about you is you're so amazing as, as a character actor. And I mean that in a sense, like you literally develop a, 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 a sentient being in all your performances. Like I don't see Glenn Fleshler in the way that I see you know, the, a lot of the action movie stars I could throw under the bus. You know, it's like, oh, that's just that person. Well, and
1: there's some people that are very good at that. They, yeah,
0: they, they make very um,
1: they make very subtle changes. They're always some version of their persona, but that works for a certain. They have a magnetism. Um, I respect that. But what I was drawn to about acting, I was always yeah. drawn to the part of it where you transform where you see um, you see. Daniel Day-Lewis go from you know my left foot to Lincoln you know yeah. to Bill the Butcher or whatever that that's to me what what got me excited about acting and um, so that's just my my approach but you know there's a lot of different ways to to skin a cat
0: as they say. And do you think your time in the theater before you know it really started to escalate was what helped you you know make choices and make such different choices and to really flesh it out I mean I'm not a- asking you to reveal your secrets here, but you know. <laughs> I don't know what I could I'd have to, I don't know what they are. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, the theater was everything, you know, the theater is all I did for so many years. So everything that I do comes from the theater and the theater is probably the best place to learn. Although there are certain different, um, skills you pick up on a, on a film set or a um, TV show, but, um, yeah, it was all about the theater and learning how to project character out into, to the back road, to fill a house, to be able to, I think I talked last time about, um, first job being a tour where I was yeah. in a Shakespeare company. And so learning the flexibility of like being in a different house every night and having to play to 75 people and having to play to 500 people and having to play to 3000 people, um, and having the audience right on top of you and having to play over a huge orchestra pit and, you know, all the things that change, having to leave set pieces on the truck because they didn't fit on a certain, you know, just that ability um, that you get from touring. That was like, I learned a, a lot of great lessons from that. Um and I think we talked last time about I had to play a lot of different characters within yeah. the same show. So the art of transformation, which, again, I, I think I was always best suited to anyway. And then as you go on, I mean, for someone like me who play a, who plays a lot of extreme characters, um, it was a matter of trying to hone that, trying to be able to make those choices in a more subtle Manner, you know, without the limp or whatever, yeah. the lisp or whatever, yeah. um, to find other subtle gradations and think about, you know, where's this person from? And you know, I think a lot about the background of a character, the early life of a character, what what uh, what shapes them, you know, what motivates them, <clears throat> and you know, but I do like to find little little physical manifestations of that and borrow from people I've known. And you know, yeah. a lot of it is about observing, observing observing, human behavior.
0: And as you started to work more and transitioned into film and TV, how did you learn to kind of recalibrate that work but towards a different medium? Was that a, was that a difficult transition for you or, or not really?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess you could say it was a difficult transition because I wanted it so badly. But because I didn't get a lot of chances at it early, I always doubted my, you know, it's like hard to act with a lot of self-doubt. Yeah, (laughs) We all battle that to to a certain extent, but you need to be confident. You need to be really relaxed on camera. And I think it took a long time for me to get that sense of relaxation. It's something I still work on because I love it so much. And being on a film set to me is so exciting. Oh, it's the best. It's like devouring movies. So uh I love it. I love walking onto a set, but then to get that into that place of relaxation where you can just let things happen and be daring in a really good way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that took me some time. And it's something I'm still calibrating, I feel like every time I work, but I have been able to have the sensation where like I go on set and it's not the biggest deal in the world. You <laughs> yeah. know, There's, for the longest time I couldn't shake that, particularly yeah. like, my first time on a show or something you know
0: what do you I remember what it was? was what was your first thing
1: oh my first I, I think my first job my first tv job was sex in the city and then I did a movie called the price above rubies which was my first big movie. I may have done a couple of really low-budgety movies before that but oh uh, so my like my world right now <laughs> um, uh so but I don't mean that I, I just mean the first time um you know, like the first time I went to Billions or something where I was yeah. like going to be an established character. But, you know, I'm new to the show and it's a big production and you're in this like super fancy suit. And, you know, there's, you know, hundreds of background and, you know, to get that. And I remember Damian Lewis saying to me my first day on that, um, this is very difficult to come in and just, you know, just be. You know, yeah. luckily Dave was there. You know, I'm like, uh, Dave is in that scene. So that was kind of fun to have that. Um, and he and, and Damien and I developed a great rapport over the years. We have had a lot of scenes, the three of us, and it's, uh, it's always just a great time. Yeah, such a good cool um, dynamic. But I remember that first time being being difficult. And even, you know, well into that first season there, it feeling, and each time you come back after not having been there a while, you know, there is a, a certain buzz you get and you have to work your way into that relaxation. The nice thing on that show, you know, every show is different, has a different dynamic and, and therefore I have a different process for every show. Sometimes you got to work yourself up. Sometimes you got to bring yourself down. Sometimes you got to isolate yourself. Um, and that show, there's just a very natural rapport among the people there on screen and off. And so we use that. That's the best, that's the best, um, you know, ingredient that we have is just the natural rapport and mutual respect among that group. And so that's what fills the
0: scenes, you know. Yeah. And then I'm curious for something like Barry, you know, how like doing something in another language, you know, that's a that's I even had someone from Russia message me asking, like, is, is Glenn Russian? Because his Russian was perfect. Like no one, they, he, I, he messaged me saying your dialect was so perfect that there's no way you couldn't have like spoken Russian before.
1: Well, that's certainly good to hear. I worked very, <laughs> very, very hard on that, about as hard as I've ever worked on anything.
0: Oh, well, uh, No, I do not, not Russian. speak Russian. <laughs>
1: I do not speak Russian. I'm not Russian, although there's probably some Russian in my lineage. But, um, but I've spent my whole career avoiding that, you know, because that was one of the categories of roles that I might get seen for it <clears throat> was like these Russian characters. Often they yeah. were like the Russian bad guy back in the.
0: Oh, like the, the Malkovich you know? rounders, you know? Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. and, um,
1: I wasn't opposed to it, but then they'd be like, Oh, he has to speak Russian. You know? And I'd yeah. be like, well, I'm out of that. Sometimes I'd have agents in the past say like, uh, he's Russian, but he doesn't fully speak Russian or they'd claim that I did to try to get me in that. And I'd be like, don't do that. You know? Cause.
0: Oh, like Peter uh, Storm you know, style. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, um, so this was the job finally where it was like, oh, you're going to you're gonna have to really do it. And I kept saying to Bill Hader, like, you know, go easy on the Russian stuff. And then finally he turned to me one day at a table read and was like, we have an episode coming up where you're just speaking in Russian <laughs> the whole time. Oh and uh, so I had just had to say like one sentence in Russian on Billions. And I had met this woman who lived in my neighborhood in Brooklyn who helped me a little bit. So I enlisted her and they had a dialect coach work with me, but I ended up depending on some of the Russian actors who were on Barry to help me. Cause people would come and say, Oh no, it's not this, it's that. And then someone else would say, Oh no, it's not that it's pronounced this way. Cause depending on where you're from, wow. you know, it, the pronunciations are different and it's all so subtle and it's not our alphabet. So, you know, you have to really learn it phonetically. And then Bill Pater would come up to me and say like, Wow, you were really like acting in the scene when I've had to do something like that. Like I can barely, you know, do it. And he's, he said, you, I was like, I wanted to get to the point where I could be saying the words yeah. and actually acting the scene, you know,
0: Instead of acting so, the accents, you know, it was,
1: <laughs> it was endless. In fact, I remember late in the season, one day, I got a rewrite. I was on my way to the set and it said like, Oh, he says something in Russian. Like it had like a, a just a one line thing throwaway. And I was like calling Bill on the phone saying like, ah, uh, there's this Russian thing. And like, you know, that took me, that took me months to do the Russian stuff that we had done in the earlier episodes. Like, I don't want to just have a throwaway thing where I'm trying to fake my way through it. Yeah. He was like, oh, we'll talk to Alec, you know, the writer of the show. He, he didn't want to deal with me at yeah. all. And finally I got onto set and I went to Alec and I was like, I really, you know, and then he he took pity on me and he's like, okay, we can, you know, we can work around it. Or I don't remember what we did, but we wow. got rid of it. Yeah, man. But yeah, that's very painstaking work.
0: Oh, and well-deserved. And how were you able, you know, doing this intense accent to to make the character so fun? You know, because usually when you're Uh, doing an accent, you get so self-conscious of like, I'm doing this accent, and then you make the character hilarious, you know? uh, Well, the accent was always part of it. In fact,
1: they told me that um, I had done a self-tape from my living room and sent it in, and then – And then I I had a phone conversation with Bill and we did another version of it. He wanted to, he was rewriting and rethinking the character a little bit. And so it was fun to like get to actually talk with Bill and shape it with him a little bit. And I sent some more, uh, I sent another uh, tape in based on our conversation with some ad libs, you know, doing some improv about some ideas of maybe where the character was going, you know. So that was fun to kind of help, Created. I mean, for me, doing an accent is, that's, it's easier to be funny, it's easier to be, uh, you know, find a character, because you're already stepping outside of yourself in a certain way, the, the, interesting. the trick is not to kind of play the accent, but to let it unlock a part of you that you may not have, you know, it changes your rhythm, that to me is what's interesting about accents, is because I'm, you know, we mostly live in our own rhythm, and so yeah. to get into a situation where anything external changes the rhythm for you, it allows you to surprise yourself and surprise those around you as opposed to, you know, being in a staid safe yeah. environment. So that's what I enjoy about different accents or finding different physical things is just that I might stumble onto something <laughs> yeah. totally new, a new energy. And that character was uh, a little different for me. And, um, and then, you know, because in the first episode, his wife is cheating on him. That brought on this sort of like melancholy, even though he's this like powerful Jedi. Yeah. Boss, like he, you know, Bill's kind of explanation was like, these guys are great at killing. It's no big deal. Crime is no big deal. It's incredibly. He wanted it to be the opposite of the acting class. The acting class is really low stakes, but everything's super high drama.
0: Yeah. yeah. I got the
1: audition, you know, I got, <laughs> yeah. I, you, know I've, you got that many pages of sides, you know, everything is like this is such a big deal. Yeah. It's such low stakes and that the crime world would be the opposite of that where things are life and death. And yet it's no big deal to us. I what love the, that. The, the problem for Goran was that he couldn't handle his family life, Yeah, you know, his daughter and his, like the, the simple things in life. And we would improvise stuff about, you know, things that befuddled, Goron just about like living in LA and thinking like he was going to come to LA and be this big deal. And he's just kind of living in this shitty house, uh,
0: you know, kind of a half a, yeah. half a, half a wise guy. That's amazing. And was that just so much fun living in that character for that season? Cause it looked like a blast. Was
1: great fun. You know, a a lot of times people say like,
0: was this fun? Was this fun? And, and,
1: you know, it's not very fun. (laughs) And that's, um, that's a job where, you know, people are like, I hope this was fun. And I'm like, yes, that was absolutely as fun as it looked. Absolute fun. I mean, part of Bill's ethos. And part of what we talked about on the phone, I think when he either that first conversation or when he offered me the job was he was like, you know, I just want to work with people that aren't assholes and gather really nice people together. And then he told me he was thinking about casting Henry Winkler. And I was like, well, he's notoriously like the nicest person in show business, you know, Yeah, and uh, everyone else that he gathered, you know.
0: um, Yeah. Anthony's so great as well. Anthony and Sarah
1: Goldberg. And they're very, very nice people. And we got along super well. You know, it was it was sad to to, to leave. That yeah, place. I think we were um, also
0: bummed that that. But, you on. you know, that.
1: the nice thing about that was that for the six of I think it was six of us original cast, um, we really got to create it together. You know, Bill was great about taking our input and encouraging us to improvise, and then Alec Berg would sit there and write down what we were doing in these little improv sessions. I'd say, don't write that down. I'm just, you know, I'm just bullshitting here, yeah. you know, but then they would find its way in the script and then they would, you know, and then they'd tailor it to our strengths, but they also had like this masterful sense of plot and Bill has all this incredible cinematic reference. Cause he's like a real film nerd, you know, wow. he's like really studied the masters from all over the world. And so he got really into the, the cinematic nature of what, what he could do. And, um, so it, it created like a, just a really interesting blend, not just like oh, a comedian getting a chance to do a show and trying to be funny, of but course. like a lot of different influences coming together to make a, a unique thing.
0: And 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 going back a little bit, you know, when you did something like True Detective right before this, like pinnacle television, you know that that arguably was the catalyst that started the golden age of television. You know, at that point, you know, movie wow. stars, yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, at least in the sense for me, of
1: the, for me, it starts with the Sopranos. But I know what you mean in terms yeah. of yes. The the next level was like the movie stars coming and doing.
0: I don't mean quality. Yeah. I mean in the hmm. sense of like having movie stars, you know, in in television. You know, I I mm-hmm. I think that was like you know that for so long. I I just was talking to uh, to Lily Taylor about this. You know, she was telling me that her friend uh, uh, played. Uh what Allie McBeal and they were doing a play together on Broadway and she was talking about how she had she had to go do, you know, Allie McBeal and they're all like, Oh, we feel so bad for her. She's going to do television and it ended up being this huge hit, you know, and and how much that's changed. I'm curious for you, for Glenn, when True Detective came out and it was this massive hit, at that point in your career, was it everything changed and you could choose what you wanted to do? Uh, No,
1: I wish <laughs> I wish that were the case. Uh, no, but it was a big step toward what you're talking about. I mean, I'm still not just like choosing what I want to do. Uh, I mean, I guess I am to some extent, and I'm certainly able to say no to more things. Um, it, 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 you know, it had the effect of just people knowing who I am. Yeah, I think the combination of Boardwalk Empire before that a little bit, I started to feel that and then certainly with with True Detective, where, you know, to me, it was strange, like to walk on the set of billions and have people be like, Oh, I love your work or right away, you know, I don't have to earn it, you know, in the same way. uh, Even, you know, the actors that I knew that I recognized from so many things coming up to me and saying like, Oh, you know. They knew who I I was. And occasionally I've had, you know, a big director or somebody at an awards thing come up and say like, oh, I want to work with you or those kind of things that wasn't, that was foreign to me for the first, you know, many years of my career where anybody knew who I was. So, and certainly that if I walked, I did get a chance to be in a movie or on a television set. I felt like I was coming completely clean slate. Nobody knows who I am. I have to prove it uh, then, then and there. So, you know, it, it brought me some cachet, but it's been a very long, gradual process of that. And then even from there, because, you know, it was such an extreme character.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, people just think like this guy walked off the street and became this maniac, you know, and, or maybe he's like that. Or so, you know, then you have to battle those getting kind of preconceptions, type And yeah, yeah, and I, and I did, do, did get sent a lot of that sort of thing afterwards. Um, but yes, it was, a, it was a big, it was a big step in terms of, momentum, career momentum, yeah. I suppose.
0: Yeah. And I know we spoke about this briefly, but I, I'd love to talk about it a little bit more about, you know, because you understudied Philip Seymour often, right? For Yeah. To, and then you finally got to do the production. I didn't do that production. No, I no went, the one I in Texas. Yes, right? I went yeah. out of
1: town and played Willie Loman, yes.
0: And and how was, because that was your last stage moment, right? You haven't been on stage uh, since I
1: think the last thing I did uh, maybe a year later, I did King Lear in Central Park with John Lithgow. Oh, you did. Okay. And that was the last time I was on stage. But Willie Loman was, I think I probably mentioned to you, that was, I sort of felt after that, that like yeah. I was done for a while being on stage. And so, yes, that was kind of a big moment in terms of like exercising something from my system. Although I would play that again, for sure. at another Wh-
0: Willie Loman again? You yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I would take another crack at it. But... um yeah, it was it was very very important experience to me and just to feel like I could carry that sort of thing and that sort of role and also just the expression of everything that everything that that show is and represents um there's so many things I mean as yeah. a New Yorker as a Jew as a uh a theater person as an actor I you know Mike Nichols really made me feel like you know, salesman, actor, same thing.
0: Yeah.
1: You'd yeah. always quote this line where Willie says, I'll knock him dead next week. I'll go to Hartford. Yeah. You know, when you I thought about it, I didn't say it, but when you asked me about grad school and making that decision, oh no, you asked me about uh, how how uh, I found, how I got through the early years after school yeah. and how did I find hope and all of that. It was, you know, Mike Nichols would always talk about Willie Loman's addiction to hope. You know, and yeah. I and I, th- and I just related to that so much as an actor. It's like you go through all this rejection and you know all this time questioning yourself. Probably spent spent too much time thinking about yourself. Yeah. And but this there's always this like ah the phone rings you know oh you get an email oh somebody you know has a part you know there's yeah. there's whatever that little whisper of of hope around the corner yeah and that bravado that like i'll knock him dead next week you know i just always had that and so i related to that so much in Willie, really, you know I, even though he's completely blind to the reality that's yeah. going around him he can't see what's two feet in front of him but he has this this capitalistic hope you know
0: yeah and i i ask this because you know right now you know there's a big question mark about when we'll ever get to have that experience again do you think you know, and I'm I'm not expecting you to have the answers. These are all just you know what what we think here. You know, do you think do you think we'll be able to to experience this in the way we once did, or do you? think... When you say this, you're talking about the theater, or yeah, the, the theater in general, yeah, the theater, yeah.
1: I mean, there are people who have experimented this summer. I know there were a couple of theaters in the Berkshires that tried to figure out ways to do social distance theater. You're going to probably see a lot of one person shows, <laughs> two person yeah. shows. Um, people will try uh, i think it's going to take a little time i mean look when this whole first thing when this thing first started for me i actually got on a plane to la to shoot a pilot and oh. literally while i was in the air cbs pulled the plug on all its on all its work so people were furiously trying and i had this giant monologue i had to learn so i was cramming really hard the entire flight i didn't watch a movie i didn't do anything i didn't turn term- my... Yeah phone on i just was like in this script because i was like this is my time i want to have it by the rehearsal on saturday and flying in to do um costume fittings and then i was gonna have a weekend and then i was gonna knock this show out in a couple of days and have this pilot done and um and thought we'd squeeze it in before the pandemic really, you know, whatever was about to happen. And that was kind of the weekend, you know, by Monday. And so um, people are writing me furiously during the flight and I didn't look at my phone and I didn't have my wireless on or anything. And, uh, and so I landed at, I don't know, 1130 at night or something in LA. And, uh, they said, you know, the show's off you can turn around and come home. You can get right back on a plane if you want. I ended up going to the hotel, spending the night in downtown LA and coming back. And by Monday school was off and, you know, everything was beginning to fully shut down. And at that point I kind of thought it's going to be a year at least. And, you know, the business, I, I kind of laugh because I look at the trades from now and then or, you know, Deadline. or
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Hollywood Reporter. And I see that everybody's making deals. It's like, yeah, cons- that, this person's signed with this and that too. person's this. And, you know, and, and it's funny to me because it's like they have to feel like they're working, you know, and they have to. And I guess it's smart, you know, stockpile whatever you can for when we can work. And then occasionally, you know, people say, uh, oh, this project is going to happen at this point, or I'll get a script to look at for like possibly July or whatever. This was a few months ago. And I would think like, no, this is yeah. not going to happen. I just got asked a movie I was supposed to do. I mean, I had a few things that were in the works that got shut down and sad to lose them. But um, one thing they were like, oh, yeah, it's gonna, they're pushing to September now. And now it's n- November. And then suddenly yesterday, they said, hey, can you come to Mexico City? You know, uh, and do this and sit in a hotel for a couple of weeks and, you know, things are still bad there. And I'm like, no, this is not happening. they didn't say anything about safety or, you know, anything about any of that. And I thought, nah, uh, you know, it's it's not It's not for me, I'm not rushing to get back to where I'd like to work, yeah, I'd like things to be better, but I'm not going to act like it's it's not happening and to be on a lot of planes and all of that. I know some people are starting to do some work now, and it it was inevitable that people would try to try to eventually get back working and figure out ways to do it and I think the longer this goes on, the more people will come up with creative ways to. To work, but, you know, because most of my work is in film and television, you know, and it's, you know, my wife keeps saying like, well, they can do scenes, you know, this far apart. I'm like, you don't realize how many people we've got crammed in a billion set, A gaffer. You know, like, behind, yeah, you know, yeah. behind yeah. the scenes, you know, it's hundreds of people.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um,
1: so I don't know. I mean, I have no, no more answers than anybody else. I do think, yes, we will get back to the theater. We will get back to film and television production. Uh, I just have no idea when that will be. And I think that, you know, if the pandemic lasts longer than people expect, then people will find more and more creative ways to do storytelling because we have this incredible need to do it and people want it. And now we have all these streaming services that want content and, you know, we're all going to be sitting like, oh, there's no new shows this fall and not a lot of new movies. You know, we've been, my wife and I have been, you know, going through classic movies, things that she missed in her life that, you know. Uh, Um monumental. It's a great it's a great great time to kinda look back and do all that stuff. But you know, we're all craving like new stuff. So I and I'd love to get back to work and eventually I'll really, really need to get back to work. Yeah. But um I'm not trying to push that or be unrealistic about, you know.
0: Well I don't know if you know this, but another thing I learned about on the internet from you is there's a huge uh Glenn Fleshler campaign to get you to play Al Capone. I don't know if you've heard about this. Oh.
1: Uh, I've seen it here and there, you know, the, the person who first mentioned that to me, oddly was the, the, some of the actors at Boardwalk Empire, when I walked onto the set of Boardwalk Empire and there I was with Stephen Graham, who was playing yeah. Al Capone and they were like whispering to each other, like, this guy looks like Al Capone. I'd never heard it before then. And then since then, I know it's come up from time to time. I think cause Tom Hardy played it recently. And but he um, did the
0: old, old, old one though.
1: Uh, he didn't do it like I think in- I'm just way too big. You Know and I also grew up with the Robert De Niro and the Untouchables Capone, which I loved, yeah. Um, so I never really thought much about playing Al Capone. Uh, I just think I'm too big, you know. He was a little guy, yeah, and uh, maybe facially I resembled him, but I and then also
0: Stephen Graham working on it, it'd be weird to take a shot, I, or I don't know, maybe you know, that's what I we mean. Do it's the Jackson. right, thing yeah, somebody presented it,
1: but I'm not, it's not something that I would pursue myself but there's a lot of things like that on the internet where people yeah. want me to do yeah. stuff that I might not be that into anytime there's like some awful person in the news, you know, they're like he should be Harvey Weinstein. Or what? He should be, you know, that's horrible. Yeah, uh, any, any anything like that, any scandal, any sort no. of whole white guy. You know, people are like, "Oh, Glenn Fleshler would be great at <laughs> that." I'm like, "Okay, I, I guess I've I, I guess I've dug my own grave with you know some despicable characters in my time." But um, no, man, let's I, I, be
0: the next Bond or the <laughs> next the next Bond. You know, let's that you I also right. have
1: not considered.
0: <laughs> that's amazing, man. Well, I'm I'm curious to ask you. You know, as someone who excels in working for the actors out there, you know, cause you mentioned you did the Barry tape in, in your living room. And I imagine you've done other auditions at home in, 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 what do you think makes for a great audition? You know, is it, is it, you know, because so many people, especially for film and television auditions, it's so nerve wracking because they get in that waiting room. There's the 20 people that look just like them. There's, sometimes the mean casting director, you know, and it's the cattle call. And then you're hearing the person in the audition room doing it exactly the way you planned to do it. And now you're struggling to like do it your own way instead of doing it the way you planned to do it because that person got to it first. Like, what do you think makes for a great audition?
1: Well, that is, I mean, that's the real grad school is going through that, being a young actor and having to go to tons of auditions that is the real training. I mean, that, because, um, because it's about all that stuff. Just like when I was talking about, um, dealing with adjusting to being on a television set or if you're on a movie or if you're working with like famous people, I had to kind of go through all of that in addition to all the audition trial by fire. And, um, it's all the same. It's like, you gotta learn, train yourself to block all that out to deal with your nerves your emotions and whatever else anyone else is doing and have it have no bearing on what you're doing. You are there to accomplish your task. And what makes great audition is that that level of relaxation and commitment and specificity and honesty. Um, the same things that we all learned in acting class. But the problem is all the things you just mentioned become the focus, which is like, oh, who's in the waiting room? And like, what's the casting director think of me? And what do they want? Yeah. Uh, And, you know, none of that has any, should have any bearing. What should have bearing on your work is like, here's what I'm interested in about this. This is why I came. Because you shouldn't go in, first of all, if you're not interested in it. And if you are interested in it, then your job is to show them what's interesting about you in this part this is what I'm interested in. Here's what I'm experimenting with. It's generally not a finished performance. Yeah. It's a work in progress. This is, you know, and that's hard for people to reconcile because yeah. they want to be like, here's the performance. And they know the, they know that the, um, the auditors, the casting people, the director, whoever yeah. wants, you know, knows it when they, when they seize it, you know? And totally. so as though it's a finished product, but it's really not about that. It's about, yeah where you and the character meet and where you are in this particular moment. And for me, I always sort of, it's like a built-in excuse for me, but I'm like, that's not necessarily what I would do. And I have worked a walked onto a set where they're like, oh, can you do more like you did in the audition? Or we liked this thing in the audition. But most of the time, once you get the part, it's yours to go where you want to go. And for me, like the audition moment is just the beginning of building it. Yeah. From there, when I have more time, because I'm somebody who likes to work with time, do you work with a coach or do you... Do you know? I've never worked with a coach. I've coached people. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that's not completely true because uh, like I said with Dave Costable, like there's a group of, of my peers that we all used to coach each other and coach each yeah. other and read with each other. Um, but over the years, I mostly took the role of coach. and I did a lot of acting coaching, but that was how I learned also was from yeah. coaching other people. Cause sometimes to step outside of what you're doing and see totally. what other people are doing, it teaches you what you think about things and how yeah. you want to work. Yeah, And so that was kind of a lot of how I learned to work was by, I did reams and reams of acting coaching uh, yeah. for I've years. Done
0: some of that myself. And I totally relate to what you're saying.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but no, I, I never had like a, and I know a lot of actors do have like somebody they go to, um, to read lines with or whatever. I, I, I've, in fact, over the years, I've made it more and more of a private process. I used to like, for a while, I'd like go to the agent's office. And then I went to the, to my manager's office. And, yeah. and then I just stopped doing all that. I just started setting it up in my living room. I started recording my own voice. I wouldn't even like read with my wife or wow. anything. I just do it all myself. And sometimes that works great. Other times people would be like, why, why is he doing that? Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, when I first talked to Bill Hader, I remember him saying, like, we were all wondering, how did you do that? <laughs> and so sometimes people like realize that I'm reading with myself, but they don't quite get I don't know, it takes on a sort of strange uh quality. Um, most of the stuff I got in those years was from those kind of self-tapes and really I've spent my whole career trying to eliminate the audition process entirely. So that was, that's been my life's goal is to stop. I, are that. you finally there now? I hope so. It's I'm not a hundred percent there. Yeah. I will occasionally, if I think something's worthwhile or if I think they wouldn't know this side of me and I should show them, yeah. uh, you know, I'll put myself on tape, but a lot less, I, I. It's it's a it's a much rarer occurrence, and I and almost never in person anymore. It's been a long time since I've auditioned for anything in person. It's not to say I never would, you know, in the right yeah.
0: circumstance I would, but um, but yeah, I don't miss it. I don't miss that part of it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious to ask you because as actors, we all dream of of working with people like you that we look up to, and and obviously, I know uh, you've had your list of sure, Philip Seymour Hoffman and and Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm curious when, you know, you know, I know that you understudied him, but with Joaquin, you were acting and when you're, on set or working with these actors do you- well i acted with phil as
1: well we were in the show together so- oh you were yeah. okay but i when- had first met phil i think i mentioned in the last uh, our last interview that i you know lost parts to him early on you know because we were yeah. just two weird character guys and he quickly you know became well known and i was totally unknown but i i lost some parts to him and then he directed a couple of times uh and i had auditioned for him so i knew him in this sort of you know I had a strange kind of relationship to him and uh, and then we acted together and then I was in one of the last films that that he did. I saw him like a week before he died, oh, so man. we sort of became more more peers as time went on but um uh Joaquin we worked together a couple of times and had very different experiences
0: you know? yeah i'm uh, sure the first
1: the first time was very warm and fuzzy and you know comfortable, and the second time he was Joker. So, you know, it wasn't like acting with Joaquin. It was, you know, it was full on Joker.
0: Is, Is it, is it interesting to be, are you both a student and a participant on these sets of like, you know, when you're watching these actors work that you love, like I imagine, you know, I'm just curious as an actor, when you get the chance to be that, is it, is I don't it think like, I think of it that way as
1: much anymore. I just, yeah. I'm just i more focused on my thing. I think that you do learn from everybody you work with. And yeah, sometimes I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. It, more, it was more earlier on when I didn't have the opportunity to be on a set as often. And then I'd come in and I'd work with like a Vince Vaughn, you know, and do like a day on a movie. And I'd, it was more about like, how do they carry themselves? How do they run a movie being like the number one? Because I was so low down on the totem pole. Right. I wanted to know, like, how do you kind of take charge on a set? Not, you know, not in a bad way, but in a, you know, I'm carrying this film and this is all around me. How do you do your work within that, you know, with all the expectation on you and and, uh, certain, you know, and like you asked me about True Detective, like after, you know, I'd come to the set with a different level of respect from people. And and so then how to kind of carry that and use that and work through that because you still need to be, Acting with your peers, you know. So now I'm in the situation where sometimes I have actors who are, you know, looking up to me or like want you know yeah wanting to you know rec- know me from my work, and it's like you don't want that side yeah. to cloud it either. You know, you you want to be able to just do the work. Do so the work. It's more like what I told you about auditioning. It's like yeah. these are all the things that an actor has to deal with to clear the mind. It's about focus. So yeah. whatever, and I think it's different for each person what they need. Um, But yes, I do borrow when I see behaviors that I think are interesting or I think ways that um, ways that actors carry themselves on set or ways that they get done what they need or get what they need from the crew or from a director Um, all of that is interesting. Ultimately, you're going to develop your own. It comes from your own persona and who you are and how you treat people and, um, the kind of work you want to do. It comes from you. It's got to come from inside. But yes, I learned from so many people and particularly, yeah, walking onto, to to film sets and, and there's also a lot of bad examples, you know, to not not to do where you go. Oh, I never want to be that person. Yeah. Yeah. And, um. There's all of it. There's all of it. You know, I, I I really, you know, it was interesting to me doing True Detective to watch Woody and Matthew because they were two guys that, you know, were doing this out of a real passion for it. And they, they were buddies and they were having a chance to work together, but they were now executive producers. When you talked about like movie people coming back to TV, they were actors, but they were in this position of Having some sway, I remember Matthew coming up to me and saying, "Oh, I saw your audition, and you know." Wow. Um, and and even when I did the stuff at the end that he wasn't in, um, he came in the next week or whatever on Monday and was like, "Oh, I heard you killed it, you know." And he was he took that role of like, you know, I'm an executive producer, not not throwing his weight around in any. Yeah, being a good um, guy, sure, but just like you know, the way those guys sort of carried the weight of the thing and yeah. with a, with a passion and an enjoyment. Um, but you know, that was something that struck me that I was like, Oh, I'd like to have a little more say you know, yeah. a little more, um, you know, to be able to, and I've flirted with different, you know, there are jobs where I totally, I'm like, I'm going to do whatever the director says. And there are other jobs where I'm like, I'm going to have more input here because it just seems appropriate. Or you develop that rapport with the creators of the show or whatever, you know? Um, you know, on the show for life that I did recently, I DC, love for life. Yeah, uh, I felt like you know there was that kind of communication going on. You know, yeah. not to say I wielded it a lot. Mostly, I just wanted to kind of get in the headspace and do the work. But you know, I could approach the the showrunner and make a suggestion or respond to the script. I had a lot of collaboration with the directors who came in and out, um, and it was mostly positive experience to kind of be a series regular and be able to, and just like, like I talked about with Barry as well, you know, you have some input and you feel like, Oh, I'm not just a, not just a cog in the machine. You know, I'm some, I'm a creative spirit in this enterprise. And, you know, some people respond to that better than others. You know, some people, sometimes it's welcome. Sometimes it's not, you have to feel that out.
0: Has it been insane for you now that, you know, Joker is out in the world and it's a global hit? Has it has it been kind of pandemonium for you getting no. recognized, really?
1: Well, first of all, I don't leave the house anymore. So,
0: <laughs> so uh, it's not really, really not, a, yeah. not
1: an issue. But yeah, I mean, it just created a lot of excitement from people around me. And, you know, uh, but no, it didn't change. Uh, Joker didn't particularly changed my life much other than, you know, it was nice to be in something that people saw all over the world and did well um, and was interesting and unique.
0: But um, the reason I I asked this is, you know, I'm sure there's so many writers now that would love to work with you and, you know, are trying to work with you. Would you ever consider producing and, you know, attaching yourself as more than an actor? i
1: mostly avoided it. Yeah. Mostly avoided because there's a lot of parts of producing that I really don't want to deal with. And when I have been asked to like direct something or spearhead something, I've always had a good person to do the nuts and bolts stuff. And I I respect people who do that well because that the logistical part of showbiz is never the part that interested me. You know, it's even when you do a play and you get like a really good stage manager, it's like a very underrated thing. Like those people who are passionate about those kind of details and running a tight ship and doing it well. And, uh, and same thing with, with producers and um, you know, but yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I I wouldn't rule it out. I don't rule anything out in this business, but it's gotta be, you know, the right thing. You just kind of start to know instinctively like, yeah, these are people I want to be involved with. This is a script I'm passionate about um, or a story, but I I haven't had a lot of agency in that regard. I mostly kind of go where the work is yeah yeah, i I pop in and out i mostly have stuck to that i haven't had you know tons of ambition a lot of my friends are like i'm gonna. it's a pandemic i'm gonna sit and write a script and i've got a whiteboard up and i'm you know and and my manager has said to me like maybe write a one-man show i don't even want to do a one-man show like
0: what (laughs) What would i write suddenly (laughs) i'm like expected
1: to be some other thing you know yeah I'm not, but you know, it's hard as an actor not to think in those terms. Like, once in a while, I think oh, I have this idea, but I'm not the best at like following through and turning it into something. Maybe someday, under the right circumstance, that will happen. I never rule any of those things out, but I also started to realize like, that's just not you know where you come from. It's just like I, I really am the actor and I take great pride in that, and that's what I crave to do more than the other stuff. You know, it was fun to see Dave Costable direct on Billions, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. the last one before he shut down. And, yeah. you know, and it's great for him. And, you know, he trailed a couple of times and he's, you know, he's sort of worked toward that, you know, and people have said that to me, are you going to direct? Do you want to direct? And, you know, maybe I would at some point, but it's not yeah. something that I feel like, you know, in immediate actually, desire. On, on for life, uh, Timothy Busfield was in the cast who is, uh, you know, had, many series as an actor but also has worked extensively as a director and he was saying to all of us you know nobody should walk away from a series regular job without their dga card it's like you know we should all be directing each other and this you know that's the way he thought about it and that was how he got into it from being on a long-running show and then learning the directing side of it and then he parlayed that into a whole other career so wow you know bona fortuna to anybody who uh
0: yeah that sort of thing Love that saying. I'm curious, you know, in, in in this time of of content bubble, you know, and as we've witnessed the kind of death of the middle American budget movie, the 15 to 20 million, mm-hmm. where now it's like under 10 or above 300, you know, what's, what's interested you in projects? You know, is it because I know so much great work is on TV, but I feel like that gap between doing a You know, a low budget film or Avengers twenty seven is that that's it. It's just those polarities exist now.
1: That's what was interesting about Joker because here was like you know major piece of IP with yeah you know Warner's behind it and and DC behind it, but you know it was trying to do an indie film kind of approach to it, and it was a little bit more of a moderate budget. So it was like I'd never been in any big uh, superhero thing. Occasionally, I've read for some bad guy and some marvel project but um i haven't really whiffed that kind of thing so to kind of get into it in that way where it was like actually todd phillips sort of started a whole new brand
0: yeah you know, really true. and
1: uh, then the industry took notice and i think there's going to be you know if we weren't shut down right now there would be a lot of stuff coming uh, springing out from that yeah idea so it was kind of interesting to enter into to it that way to be in something that's like, Oh, global billion dollar movie, but it's also like taking a whole different tack and more in line with the kinds of work that I'd been doing over the years. Um, uh, You know, I love all of it. You know, I, I don't put my nose up at anything. Um, If the right superhero thing came my way, that's great. Uh, If a small budget movie speaks to me, that's great. But I live a little bit in denial about what you're talking about, which is the death of the mid budget. I, I, I hope so
0: too. You know? <laughs> I, I really, I,
1: I know that it's where we are right now, but I, I you know, I remember saying that when I did Suburbicon with Matt Damon, you know, I said like, I don't, cause there, there was a movie with like movie stars and yeah. like a decent budget and some oomph behind it. Uh, but, you know, and I was just finally getting a chance to like play, you know, good roles in those kind of movies And, you know, I was talking to Matt about, I don't want to think that this is dead. And he said, well, he had at the time was dealing with, um, Manchester by the sea, which he was a producer on. Oh, right. And, um, he was saying, you know, I, me and my partners, you know, we, we were reading a lot of scripts and he's like, and it doesn't exist. He's like, you know, uh. Goodwill hunting made X amount of dollars back in the day, but now, you know, a movie like Spotlight can only make this and you know, just that the he was sort of breaking down the finance financial reality to me yeah. of why it was gonna be so difficult. But I still hold out hope and you know, yeah there's gonna be those kind of movies because I think we'll we'll miss them. And I was so weaned on on the the terms yeah. and you know, all the James Brooks movies and Mike Nichols movies. Totally. And, uh, you know. So, but yeah, I, you know, again, it's case by case. Sometimes it does mean, okay, maybe the good stories are on television where you can have a little longer run at something and, you know, make a decent living. Um, sometimes the passion project might be the low budget indie movie and you do it. You know, I did one right before the pandemic. I did this little werewolf comedy.
0: Oh um, yeah, yeah. I saw <laughs> that on your IMDb. When is that coming out?
1: Uh, I don't know. I had, I actually, it's the one thing I left the house to do other than doing stuff like this that I've been able to do, like some voiceover things from home. I actually went to a studio to do some, uh, some ADR on, on the werewolf movie. So I got to see a, a couple moments of it. Um. I'm, so they're finishing it up now. I'm not sure when it will be out, but it was a lot of fun and a, a fun script. It's called Werewolves Within. Amazing. Um, And that was just, you know, actually uh, that movie came my way and I had passed on it because of logistics for my family. And I remember thinking like, it's rare to read a script like this. You know, I, I wanted to find a way to make it work, but it didn't work out. And then they came back with another part that was only a couple of days and was easier to fit into my schedule yeah. and so i went and did it i was like i'm glad you guys called again because actually you know this script stayed with me it's just when you read something that's done so well where you can see it all yeah. laid out in front of you um you know it was just one of those scripts that was a pleasure to read so
0: that's amazing
1: um, so it was kind of great kismet that it came back around again so you know in the right circumstance um i will do those things but then there's a lot of things that you know people are like oh we wrote this for you and it's some terrible person
0: that, you know, <laughs> oh, no. and you know <laughs> will
1: you do it and i i don't necessarily jump at, at all of those
0: and yeah this, you know we're gonna have you play the dashing romantic lead i'm gonna write it for you and i'll, <laughs> I'll be your son who's like got cancer <laughs> i gotta ask you though man what what was it like doing you know such an iconic like the seagull as a film how was that experience translating? a classic into to a medium that didn't exist when it was written. You know, what was that experience like? Uh, oh, it was
1: great fun. Great fun. Well, Chekhov is fun. I mean, you know, it's funny. It gets a bad rap um, <laughs> for being sort of, I don't know, so serious and dry and, but it's actually very funny. Chekhov was very funny. He loved blending comedy and drama and that play, The Seagull has a lot of humor, yeah. even though it's, it's held up as this, uber serious sort of did you see the
0: 2008 you know, one with kristen scott thomas and peter sarsgaard
1: no i didn't i saw uh, phil do it i saw meryl streep uh and and philip seymour hoffman do it Philip seymour hoffman
0: Huffman sat next to me when i saw that production oh really and it, it was just so funny just like listening to him analyze that production you know yeah yeah
1: uh so yes i i saw that. i remember i got to take my mom to that uh Because I think I was doing the other show in the park that summer, so that was that was great fun. That was before I worked with Meryl Genning, See her do that, and um, there was a lot of great stuff in that one. Uh, And I had been in it once before, actually. Uh, It was you know it was at at NYU, or yeah, it was actually uh, somebody's directing projects at nyu i it was after i had graduated but i came back and did it and we had a great fun doing it playing and, uh, the, or, or no
0: playing i played
1: soren the dying ah, uncle got it. Uh, in that one which i you know that was a role i never would have thought that i would want and then i just like i, I think i chose it i got offered a couple of different parts and yeah uh, at that time, I loved playing old men all the time, so uh, I did that. And then I never thought I would really enjoy Shemraya, but in the film version, it was great. Because yeah, it was so great. Uh, it was really fun to do. Although a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor, unfortunately, that was a little heartbreaking because they really decided to scale it down and just kind of focus on the lovers. And so I was a little sad, but um, but I thought he made a really nice movie, and I love Michael Mayer, who I had worked with on Broadway, yeah. and I'd worked with Annette. Uh, in that King Lear that I mentioned. So we already had a relationship and uh, I knew Cory stole. There was some, you know, and then I got yeah, to Yeah, Cory Cory's an NYU another...
0: guy as well, right?
1: Corey is indeed. Yeah. And uh I knew Elizabeth Moss a little bit, played my daughter in it. But you know, we all we all hit it off really well and um
0: I loved it. It, it was a great film. And, oh, I, I I thought I'm it glad. did such, I don't know yeah. how
1: many people saw it, but uh but it was a fun thing to be a part of to, Oh and, me and my know, dad loved it, you
0: know. Oh, you know good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. amazing. Well, you know, I don't want to take up all your time. A f- few final questions for you, Glenn, you know, no what's, problem. what's, what's been keeping you inspired brother, you know, right now during this time, you, you oh, mentioned you've been a rewatching question. a lot of classics, but.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, I had to, it was a long wait until sports came back You know, I needed something fresh. Oh, you're a you sports know. guy. And uh, you know, and, so, you know, but yeah, my wife is gave me this whole list of like, she was like, I basically missed, you know, The early 2000s, like when she was at NYU and, you know, her college year. And so I'm like, oh, this movie, that movie. okay, you know, we're going over a lot of old things, you know, and, um, you know, mostly my kid inspires me. He's what keeps things spicy because you never know what an eight year old (laughs) throw your way on any given day.
0: How have you been as a teacher? Was that a tough transition for you? Uh, we've actually been doing all summer. I got this big
1: third grade book and wow. I make him do a little bit of work each day in between his like Zoom camps that he's doing and other stuff, his piano lessons and whatever else he's doing and playing with bugs in the, on the deck and uh, preachers that he captures. Um, Love we do that. like an hour of academic stuff every day just to keep his brain sharp. And sometimes it's a real struggle, but mostly it's been really great. Um, and I just have much respect for the teachers that had to pivot yeah. so quickly into like putting putting together this online learning. So it did make my wife and I much more involved in his uh, schoolwork, and sometimes that can be tough because you'd rather learning. Teach them.
0: <laughs> well, there's that too. You know, they call it
1: the new math, and it's yeah. all different from when I was a kid. So I did have to learn some of that. But um, so it can it can get tense. You know, when we have to teach him, but also it gives us a sense of like, Oh, he's really doing all well this. He needs a little more attention on that. So we're doing the, we're all doing the best we can, but I, you know, that has actually kept, kept us busy and we'll see what the fall brings. Cause you know, New York is trying to go back to yeah, school. but so we've seen. been on these crazy zoom meetings with hundreds of people, parents and teachers and principals and uh, everyone's got different needs and issues yeah. and, it's very, very complicated. So it seems we've messy made him it was, through a lot of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, final question, you know, for, for all the actors out there, you know, I know obviously we're in a pandemic, but outside of that, you know, any any words of wisdom or advice for them, you know, just to not not even during the pandemic, but just to navigate this this crazy business.
1: Well, I want to talk to my son about a lot is the power of the mind and if you can dream it up you know you can do it and if you're committed to doing it you'll do it and all the stuff that you talked about um about auditioning about you know listening to other people and worrying about casting directors and i, I totally relate to all of it i've had all the same hang-ups and all the frustrations but the truth is, like, if you are completely committed to practicing your craft, you know, you will do it and dream it up the way you want it to be. Everyone's career is different. yeah. Um, so dream up what you visualize for yourself and and build it, make it happen. And it, it might be really slow. And sometimes it's better if it's slow, if it happens yeah. really slowly. I mean, for me, that has been the case. I was frustrated for a lot of years and I wanted things to happen but actually the fact that they took a long time and I can really appreciate everything I have at this time in my life, particularly in this challenging time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, my wife and I say it all the time. We're so lucky. We're so lucky, you know, you see what's going on around the world and in our country and in our city. And, um, and we just go, well, we're so lucky. Like, you know, it can, it can envelop you. My son can get, you know, very frustrated with the way things are and not being able to see friends and all of that stuff. But what we mostly practice is just our gratitude that, you know, we're, we're very lucky. So be thankful for the things you do have and just keep pushing, keep pushing. Um, and you know it's a very long game. That's the nice thing about actors, unlike athletes, you know, or, or dancers. Yeah, so you we don't have a don't really long <laughs> career, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, don't don't give in to all the negative voices and all the oh, I only have this
0: much time, or yeah,
1: um, they think this about me, or whatever. You know, you
0: don't cave to despair. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. Despair. Don't despair. Yeah yeah well Glenn Fletcher brother I love you so much it means so Thanks, much man. to me from the bottom of my heart that you came back and I love <laughs> you so pleasure. much and, anytime and, and and dude let's get lunch or dinner when the madness <laughs> descends and and okay, you we're it. both back in Brooklyn because I think you you live in Brooklyn as well right <laughs> yeah yeah normally, yeah yeah so we'll do it uh when you, I have everything's going great with your son in the school year and mm-hmm. you get everything figured out I love you man Let's grab lunch soon, and and I'm sending you and your wife and your kid nothing but love. Thank you, man. All right. Much love, brother. Thank you. All right. Take care. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.